This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. If, I swear, if you do one of these long intros, I'm, I'm going to drive to your house and... What's wrong with my long intros? <laughs> when I strangers to podcasting, you know the rules, and so do I. A half measures commitments, what I'm thinking of, and you wouldn't get this from any other podcast. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Got to make you understand. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. We've known each other for 31 episodes. Inside, we both know what's been going on. We know the game, and we're going to play it. And if you ask me what I'm watching, don't tell me you're too blind to see. I'm never going to stop with these intros. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Half Measures Podcast. <laughs> I'm Dan Whiting. This is Balkan Hour. This is a butchered rendition of Rick Astley's Never Going to Give You Up. Welcome to the Half Measures Podcast. Thanks, Dan. What worried me the most out of that entire monologue was the last bit where I was like, I'm, I'm never going to stop these intros. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I'm never stopping. No, yeah, uh, I'm never stopping. The feedback I'm getting from from our our listeners it, it, it fuels me. It's a great great intro and a great song. Um, I haven't listened to Rick Astley's "Never Gonna Give You Up" in some time, so I really appreciated that. <laughs> good, good. And so, look, I I stayed away this time, Paul, from doing a specific um, personal intro to you. I just thought I'd, I'd come in hot with a bit of general Rick Astley. So I hope you don't mind. I like that. No, I, I think. Less focus on me and more focus on something different. I quite enjoyed it. Well, Paul, episode 31. Some say we want to make it to 11, 21. Here we are at 31. Some, global. Said, some did say that. I think one of them was us. But um, here we are against all, against all odds. Yeah. So, Paul, we've got a, another pretty busy podcast. We've got lots to talk about. Um, we've got a whole bunch of... Um, talk today around uh, season two of Criminal. We've got our uh, movie of the week. We've got our peak performances. We've got the mailbag. You're definitely going to want to stick around. Uh, Paul, if people want to get in touch with us at the Half Missions Podcast, where might they do that? Uh, easiest place is on our social media. So at Half Measures Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or via the website, halfmeasurespodcast.com. 
drop us a line if there's something you think we should check out something you want us to review if you've got news and uh, you can also do that in our discord channel where we get a lot of chatter going on Uh, you can find the link to the discord in the podcast notes wherever you're listening to this podcast episode awesome and so you can also um come and join the the conversation uh from the podcast on our discord channel um and you can also support us on patreon just like samara king and trisha brady have done this week thank you again they are the producers of this week's show so it's a bit of a an age-old 31 that we probably haven't been doing it for 31 episodes maybe for 20 something episodes what have you been watching paul Well then, I'm glad you asked, because this week uh, I started the rewatch of uh, The Mandalorian. Uh, now, before I dive in, have you started your rewatch yet, or are you, are you still holding off at this point? I'm still holding off, so I'm probably going to go for uh, like a weekend binge, maybe do it in over two nights, maybe. So I'm probably going to save it till a little bit longer. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And look, I, I'm we're we're three episodes in and i'm really conscious that we need to slow down because you know with only eight episodes 30th october is still quite a way away so maybe we'll limit ourselves to one a week or something um but all i can say is and and i i think i you know i won't go into too much detail because we have covered this before and we will cover it again as we as we both get up to date but even just a few minutes into the first episode it instantly just all came back to me just how good this show is why it made number three in my top 10 tv shows of 2019 why it made number number two on your list was it I think it was yeah, just behind Stranger Things, yeah. Uh, just, just so great. It's, it's one of those rewatches that's just so enjoyable. You know, you get to re-familiarize yourself with the story. You can, and this time, I feel like I'm sort of able just to soak in all the background details that maybe I missed a little, you know, on the on the first time round. Just to, just to sort of bring that sort of all back to my memory. It's been great. So, um, I feel like all the things I love about the Mandalorian uh, are just sitting there waiting for me in that season two trailer as well. There's sort of like all of the great elements, the music, um, no spoilers for people who haven't seen the trailer, but it's just, it's just great. And it's, it's, it's so easy to watch because, and I'd forgotten this, the episodes aren't actually as long as I, in my mind, I thought they were like an hour long, but they're, they're really not. They're like, they're actually closer to like, some of them are like 48 minutes, but some of them are like 42. I think one of them is even 39. And it just, it's, because it's such a great show, it just goes past so, so quickly. Um, so in lieu of new content, this rewatch is, uh, has been has been fantastic. So, yeah. I am very excited about the rewatch. In fact, I've kind of had to I, – I was actually going to start it um, the other day, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? This, it's – I'm still too far away from season two. Mm. Um, so I, I think I'm really going to definitely hold off until October. Yeah, maybe even early October. But it's something I'm really, really looking forward to. And after watching the trailer for season two, it's definitely got me super hyped up to watch season one again and just reminded me, like you've just said, of all the reasons why I love the show so much. Uh, then tribute into so many things that we love 
Um, and you can just see the, the love and attention to detail and to the, every scene, the music. It's so good. And so it's it's been really hard to resist and not watch it just because I thought to myself, I, I want to I want to savor it for as long as possible. Yeah, no, agreed. And having seen, as I said, the first three episodes, I, at this point, at least at this point, I still agree with my original assessment, which is that episode three, uh, the sin, is my my favorite episode. That's the episode where he's he's delivered baby Yoda, the child, the asset, and he's about to take off and go off on another job, but he he just can't. You know, he he sees that little ball off the top of the lever, and he remembers. You know, and he just it just plays with that in his mind, and that's the moment when it really becomes the greatest episode. And he decides, Do you know what, I'm going back, and it just gets great from there. And he goes in and takes out all those stormtroopers in the most uh, brilliant of ways. It's great stuff. I, I think it's a tough thing, right? Like, so you've watched three episodes, right? And we're only talking about an eight episode season, so there's actually not that much to go, is there? So yeah. it's it's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. Werner Herzog, I've, I've forgotten how much I enjoyed his voice as the client. Um, Carl Weathers back in, in his role uh, as, as grief. So, yeah, great stuff. Uh, moving away from The Mandalorian, um, I did dive into a a movie on Amazon Prime. You'll be pleased to hear, so you already know you're in for an absolute treat. This one, I go back to 1978. So you often ask me, Dan, so I'm going to sort of talk about this up front you often ask me paul i'm really interested in your process how, how do you come across these movies what, what is it you go through well i i find often particularly when they're an oddball choice this one for me was purely on the basis of the poster and then the title so this is the bermuda triangle 1978 and i i just say <laughs> for those of you not watching dan, dan whiting is shaking his head um and it's uh, it's just a great great poster um, of this this ship being thrown up into the air with this huge yellow font. Um, and so I know very little about the Bermuda Triangle beyond the fact that you know the number of boats and planes that appear to have gone missing in the region. So that was a hook in itself. But yeah, the, the poster is just just classic. And then you throw in a runtime of less than two hours. It was enough for me to give it a go, Dan. And so, and so I did. And so, so this is uh, an old school mystery horror type movie. Um, and you basically follow the passengers uh, and the crew of this boat that's um, on a cruise in the Caribbean. And then when the cruise strays, you know, a little too close to the Bino Triangle, well, why would you do that is the first thing I'd say. Well, you know, there's been all these things go missing. Um, you know, lots of mysterious things start to happen. But I do have three negative things to say about this movie. That all, funnily enough, somehow add up to a positive. Uh, it's quite possibly the worst acting I've seen in some time. It's the worst special effects I've seen, even for 1978, that I've seen for some time. But beyond that, it is the worst dubbing I have seen in some time. It's just absolutely awful. And yet somehow I still found myself really quite happy to watch this movie because all of those things somehow actually just sort of add to the flavor of this sort of classic 70s sci-fi horror type type movie so i had a great time watching it and you know i will give this a i don't know like a, a single hand half loaded guns akimbo rating i don't know what well, i've forgotten what the scale maybe, is like. maybe a jammed gun yeah maybe a, a jammed gun is perfect yeah 
and then some bad sound effects to go alongside it. Um, I think there's something nostalgic about watching a movie that it's kind of when you know it's it's a B grade and you and it embraces the B grade. Um, it, although I could have done without the dubbing, admittedly, um, it's it, it's really good. But some of the things that begin to happen on this boat, they're just really really strange. They find this creepy doll floating in sea, and so they they go and pick it up and they give it to this young girl who then becomes possessed by it and starts projecting the deaths of people on the boat and then there's all these accidents then they hear distress calls from ships and planes that have disappeared um you know over the years um it's all very disturbing and somehow it works so i actually feel like this would be a great movie to watch whilst you're on a cruise ship or if if you're in new zealand i don't know maybe if you're on the uh, the inter-islander ferry that goes between the north and south island here be perfect watch for that um and so, and if you do like a low level, low budget, I should say, disaster type movie, I would definitely recommend it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun for all the wrong reasons. I'm most intrigued, to be honest, by the um, IMDb G rating, but it's also a horror, sci-fi, mystery mm. documentary. Like that's quite a combination of things to be. Yeah, and like, a G rating. Yeah, I feel like that G rating may have been. At the time, maybe things weren't deemed to be quite as, I don't know, maybe they were just a little more liberal back in 78. I don't know. But uh, it's, to be fair, the the scary nature of stuff is, um, I think the word I used was creepy. And it's kind of more creepy rather than actually, like, there, there, I mean, there are some bizarre moments, like when, so this girl's got this doll and she's like, she's feeding it. <laughs> like raw meat and it's got blood on it. It's, it's it's pretty crazy but it's 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 more creepy than anything but yeah i certainly wouldn't be showing this to my kids anytime soon in fact i don't think they'd last more than five minutes they wouldn't cope i just saw a screenshot of the the baby doll and it that is terrifying yeah like there, there's, some, there's something kind of creepy about dolls um yeah in, anyway but no that's an interesting choice so yeah, so um, once again, you're welcome for the uh, the Mandalorian choice. Uh, so alongside, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, the uh, the Amazon Prime choice. So alongside Mandalorian, uh, alongside that movie, uh, basically this week uh, we've been watching Criminal, which we'll talk about together, our movie of the week. And the other thing we've started, but I'm gonna. Ch- basically hold off for now because we're only you know a couple of episodes in but we're watching a, a series on netflix called young wallander uh so anyone who enjoyed the wallander series with kenneth branner um i feel like we'll, we'll be really really tempted to watch this show so wallander uh, ran for i think like about eight years i think it was um over the course of a few seasons and uh it's it's just a great detective series uh scandinavian based uh about a guy who just is a great detective but his personal life is just an absolute mess and this is this is him as a you know as a younger guy and so already within two episodes i can tell i'm missing kenneth brenner because brenner's just just fantastic um but it, it is still the same premise. It's the same character. So we're giving it a go. There's only six episodes in this first season. So um, I think maybe I'll maybe talk about it a bit more uh, next time. But that's uh, that's me this week, Dan. So short and sharp. 
All right. So um, what have I been watching? So I have made a start on The Boys Season 2. So the um, the Boys Season 2, they dropped the first three episodes and then they've been doing um, episode weekly episodes. And so there's five episodes out now. So I'm up to date with all five of those episodes. It's it's really good. I, I can't remember, Paul. Didn't, have you watched The Boys Season 1 or not yet? We got about halfway through, and I don't know, again, just like with Watchmen, these two shows, we got halfway through, and for some reason we got distracted by other things that came along, and just like we were talking about Watchmen, we may go back to the boys, not sure yet. Sell it to me. All right, so the basic premise of the boys is it's kind of like a a take on what are actually sort of the repercussions of living in a world with superheroes? And the, the first season is very much about kind of exposing us to that world. So, you know, if you if you put it in a, a DC context, right, like a, a Superman has a fight with a bad guy through a building and he's just smashing through walls and whatever, people are going to die, right? So the – and it's kind of the, the flow-on impacts of that. It's also about the – the giant PR companies that manage superheroes, and it's it's got a really great uh, R-rated but tongue-in-cheek mm. way of kind of managing that whole uh, narrative. And so, the first season is very much kind of set in the scene, um, introducing us to the the main superheroes and the, and the villains, and then the boys is a is kind of a, a group of. <laughs> Uh, vigilantes, I guess, who are who are anti soups, mm-hmm. soups for superheroes, and um, season two kind of goes continues the story of season one naturally, and it's starting to it's it's probably not quite as um, shocking in season two as as season one is. Like there's some really kind of like um, gasp out loud holy holy shit moments in season one there's a couple of those in season two but they're they're focusing much more on on character development and it's just really interesting to see where they're going with this there's a whole bunch of interesting characters just the politics of how um, a lot of this plays out it, it stars a couple of kiwis mm. um it stars anthony star and um Carl what's his name Carl, yeah Carl Urban. um it's also got our Fan favorite. Um, God, I'm I'm blanking. I'm blanking on the names. I had it right in front of me moments ago. Stand by, stand by, stand by. Fan favorite. I'm gonna uh, do that. God, a guy from uh, Breaking Bad. Um, from Los Polos. Oh, Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's got it's got him in there. Like, it's so great. There's so many. There's so many great character-driven moments. I, I think it's a show that you'd really like. It's um, and it's really interesting just to see, just to see how like, the other side of being a, what being a, a big superhero actually means, and and how it gets dealt with in the world. Every episode kind of leaves you wanting more. I'm definitely looking forward to the next episode. I think it's an interesting model, um, dropping three episodes at once because it kind of allows you to get into the season and then having kind of episode by episode, it actually keeps you thinking about the show and and talking about it each week as opposed to just kind of having the we've dropped all ten episodes. Yeah. It's talked about for a weekend and it's never talked about again. So look I'm having a lot of fun. There's yeah, there's some there's some 
some great storylines, but they're hard to talk about without sort of really going into spoilers. Yeah. So I'll sort of I'll hold off until I finish watching the whole season. But yeah, I would recommend this as a as a show, particularly if you like all of the DC Marvel Deadpool type stuff. This this is probably a show for you. Hmm. Yeah, just looking at it again, I I do remember enjoying quite a bit of this and yeah, I can't for the life of me remember why we stopped watching it, but uh, I see they've also got a short film. I'm not sure that was like um, Butcher, which came out a couple of weeks ago, which was sort of um, set throughout season two. I don't know if that's been dropped as part of this or not, but um, yeah. I'm not too sure. Not too sure about that. But yeah, no, look, it's, it's, it's fun. And there is lots of like, they really get you with some really like, like, gasp out loud moments where oh my god that can't happen so it's good it's good fun excellent I've, i may jump back i may jump back so I'll, I'll let you know if i do so i'm glad you've stayed away from spoilers for now i'll let you know yeah yeah i think um yeah you know that would be it should be good to have a bit of a, a deep dive conversation into it so and it, it's not too late to get on that train um Obviously, because we've still got another another five episodes of season two to come out as well. And I'm, I, what you said on the the dropping of the episodes, I'm a big fan of that. I'm I'm starting to really not like things that drop straight away, not because it bothers me, but because it's you know then people were spoiling stuff and stuff, you know. And and I do like savoring things, so I think if you an episode or two a week is is quite nice. Just just like I talked about, I had to self discipline with the Mandalorian. I, I quite like that when it does it itself for you. Apparently there's, there's been quite a bit of uh, review bombing on Amazon of people just being mad that these episodes been dropped like this because the the first season came out all as, as one big drop. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad because I think that it's such a good show. It's something quite different. They're doing something we haven't really seen before. It, it's doing something really good with a graphic novel. Like I'd like to see more of this sort of stuff on the various streaming platforms. It looks like some of those review scores have started to write themselves, but just kind of crazy, crazy fan behaviour like that. Mm. Not cool. Okay, what else have I been watching? Well, Paul, last week I made a commitment to the to the Half Measures fans and, yeah. and you. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. This is all I've been waiting for. This is the only reason I turned up today. So um, Paul very kindly lent me six Blu-rays, um, which are Star Trek movies. And so these are the original series movies. Is that, a, is that what you'd officially call them? Correct. Original series movies. And so I've watched Star Trek, the motion picture. Now... It's a hard watch. This, this was hard to watch, Paul. So... This movie came out in, in 1979, and I think what's hard about it is I would rather watch the TV show than have to watch this movie again. It's it's long. Not a lot happens. The like the effects are a little bit questionable, but I, I can put that aside. I I just found it very very dry. Um, the, the effects the effects are questionable now. In 1979, those effects looked pretty decent. They looked they looked sort of like uh, up there with a the new hope, if you like. Right. I just, you know, at the end of this movie, I could, I almost 
struggled to even probably even tell you really what this movie was about. Like that's how kind of like me I felt about it. The only saving grace is that you really warned me that this is going to be a hard watch. Mm-hmm. And if you had said to me, this is one of your favorites, <laughs> we, we could just do the podcast now. Like I, I don't know if we could, if we could work together. It's, and I, I think for me, uh, like, I think a couple of, so I think I, like it's quite a long movie and I think it's so, it's quite long because there's so many like big long shots on like big panning shots of the Enterprise and then like mm. panning shots of like mm. um, like a, something docking with another ship. There's a, I don't know, I, I paused this movie halfway through and I thought this is probably only got about 20 minutes left and I had like an hour 20 to go. <laughs> um, and I think too because, I think for me, what it didn't strike the balance for for me is I wanted like this, this the original series vibe and characters in a movie format, and it didn't. It was quite different for me from from that. Hmm. Um, I just I, I don't even know what to say about it. I to be honest, I I thought that actually the start of the movie was actually going to be about Klingons, hmm. and I thought hmm. oh, this could be interesting. And then to find out, and I, I found this out through a Wikipedia page afterwards, that those Klingons were also responding to the distress signal or whatever was going on. They weren't actually attacking it, but the whole time throughout the movie, I was waiting for the Klingons to kind of be like, gotcha, and then like coming out of like, but it's about the yep. alien android lady. I don't look, I don't know. I, I just, I struggled. Vijer. Vijer, short for Voyager. It was great. I mean, it's they spent so much time, like you said, the the, the scene you described of the the shuttle pod docking with the Enterprise when Scotty's taking Kirk over to the Enterprise. Bear in mind, Star Trek fans around the world had been made to wait nearly, I think, where are we, nineteen sixty nine? So yeah, a decade they had no Star Trek, and suddenly Kirk and Kirk were coming back to the Enterprise. So this scene which goes for six minutes and 26 seconds. And the reason I know that precisely is because I knew you were watching it. I rewatched a couple of scenes on YouTube because they're just I just love that scene. It's, it's terrible in a movie from the point of view of actually telling the story. But uh, they were just dragging out the emotion of, of Kirk and that coming back to the ship. And it's just, I think that might have felt differently in 79 than it does now, that's for sure. But um, the movie gives us some great music. So that classic motion picture, Jerry Goldsmith theme that became the theme of the next generation and many of the movies is, is iconic. Uh, it re it got the franchise going again. Hence, you know, you've got five more original movies to go. Uh, there was the, you know, they gave us the Klingons with the, the, the Klingon heads. We hadn't had that before in the original series. The Klingons basically were, were, were humans with with beards and and dark hair um what else did it give us let me think what it didn't give us as you quite rightly said is story and it really sacrificed the story and much of the criticism that's always leveled at this movie is you know going for special effects rather than story using opportunities and let's be honest uh it also gave us those wonderful <laughs> close-fitting uniforms which nobody needed right we need to take a moment to talk about these uniforms. So there is a scene. So first of all, all of those uniforms are way too tight. Yes. Secondly, I don't want to see people like 
lifting up things above their head with their super tight uniform. No. And it's just, it's too, it's too body defining. And I, I, it was too much. I felt like it was very, um, it brought out some strong 70s vibes of this is all okay. I think, like, the, like to your point about the music, there was a couple of points with the music where I kind of felt myself being like, oh, yeah, I want to get into this. This is, mm. this is, this is good. This is good. It, it, it was for me just the story. I just found it just, just so long. And I, like, I appreciate that there, you know, for people who were starved of Star Trek content during that time, um, that would have been a big deal. And not to underplay that, but for someone sort of going back like myself who hasn't seen a lot of Star Trek, it was just, it, it felt like a real uphill bike ride. Yeah, it didn't play to the strength of the show as well. The strength of the show was always that uh, that core relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and I didn't think they they captured that well in this story. Um, I'm I'm quite happy to to agree with you on this one uh, and say yeah, it's not that great. And I'm really excited to see what you think of the others going forward because those do have uh, for me unquestionably good stories and. Um, different things that maybe we can critique but this one yeah it's a it's a hard watch and i i know a number of star trek fans who would 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 say the same and who have who have rewatched it and gone goodness me that was that was tough i i in saying all of this that it, that was tough i do feel like i'm trying to like do my time as well and i know that there's a lot of star trek fans out there so I, i'm sure you know maybe there's some at some point there's you know, I, I might reappreciate it under different circumstances. I did really enjoy when uh, Kirk got um, Dr. McCoy back and he came back in this sort of real bushy beard. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I don't, I don't feel like I know Dr. McCoy or, or Bones very well, but I feel like I kind of enjoy his pirate type nature. To, to give you that context of all the hundreds of episodes of Star Trek and all the hundreds of characters that have appeared throughout that, of all of them, Dr. McCoy is my favorite character. And so he's he's uh, he's crazy when he, he gets beamed onto the ship. He doesn't want that right from the start. He's angry. Um, and straight away, he's just uh, cantankerous. And he, he yeah, he, he carries on like that throughout the movies. But uh, this one, he's a, he's he's really crazy. I also feel like I'm not sure, like, I want um, James T. Kirk, I want him out there doing space adventures. I don't want him, like, caught up in an operational Starfleet business mm. back in San Francisco. Mm. I feel like it's too real life for me. I want it, like, let, let's get back into space. Let's go beyond, you know, let's, whatever we do in the Star Trek universe, go on some adventures. It's it's how they set up. They're trying to make out. Oh yeah, they're moving him into the position of admiral. He's taking a desk job. But, you know, they and then certainly he's on his way. And Scotty's saying something, and he's like, "They gave her back to me." You know, and it's that's that's the moment when you know Kirk is back. But uh, yeah, we'll talk more on that when you get to uh, number two, the Wrath of Khan. Well, Paul, do I have some news for you? Do you? Last night oh. I watched the second movie. Because somebody said to me, don't worry, Dan, as soon as you've done the first one, it gets better from here. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want to come into this podcast with number two under my belt. This is this is great. If you were like my employee, I would be recommending you for a promotion because what you've done here is you've promised one thing and you've now delivered above and beyond expectations. So this is 
this is great. Okay, so 1982, The Wrath of Khan. And so tell me then, what do you think? Okay, well, if we're coming from Star Trek, the motion picture, which, you know, is... I don't know where it fits on the on the Guns Akimbo scale. I, I don't want to give it a rating. I think that this is definitely a huge step up, um, both in storytelling and and quality. I think, first of all, shout out to Kirsty Alley. God, oh my God, so young. Yeah, amazing. As um, Savik Savik Savik. Yep, yep, yep. Um, what a great character and just so great seeing Kirstie Alley play such a a straight-laced character. Um, The Kobarashi Maru, like, Mm. um, so great seeing, like, kind of seeing the context, like, you know, because it's such a a famous line. Well, I feel like it's probably made more mainstream on the J.J. Abrams movies, but, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. great sort of seeing the context of that. Um, I thought it was also interesting seeing like that the ship wasn't um, Kirk's again. Like we had a mm-hmm. that he had to kind of like take it back, and I, I was like, oh god, just give Kirk the ship for God's sake. Um, that was, that was that's what I was referring to when I said I will talk more about that next time because it happened. You know, they basically tried to do it again, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I was like, what what's going on? I enjoyed seeing them. Um, I, even even the costumes, I, I think, are so much better in this. Mm. But I, I think let's just talk about this villain for a minute, Khan. Mm-hmm. So there's some real Masters of the Universe stuff going on here, and there's some real, like, glam rockers. And I I can only imagine that the, the Khan reveal was a real mic drop situation to fans of the original series. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was like... This guy's wild. Like, look at this fringe. Look at this hair. Like, <laughs> um, and I, but in saying that, obviously, I've heard the name Khan before, but I, I never read any real context of of who he was in the in the Star Trek universe. I enjoyed that. Oh, who was the guy that was from the Enterprise that knew him? Um, Mister Chekhov was the Chekhov. Yeah, I was. It was like. Uh, that kind of gave me enough kind of like context. I definitely knew the other captain, he wasn't going to make it. I was like, I've never seen you before. You're not surviving this. Paul Winfield. Um, yep, he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> definitely much better paced, a much more enjoyable story. I know it's got a lot of good ratings. I've got many questions around now. We're going to obviously go into the, what the search for Spock mm-hmm. or, um, and I wonder what that I'm, – I'm intrigued about what that's going to do to the the crew, particularly around Kirk and McCoy and mm-hmm. Scotty and Sulu. And, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued about that. Um, yeah, still still very long movies. I would, you know, like there's a lot – I feel like it could be, could be crunched a little down into a, a tighter package, but overall – a big jump forward for me. Okay, okay, fair, fair assessment. I think for uh, for the most part, um, this. I guess what's interesting is we go from arguably the worst, or I should say, regarded as the worst movie, the motion picture, alongside possibly Star Trek Five. Don't believe the hate though, Dan. Don't buy into it. But we go from yeah, 
a, a widely criticized movie into what is largely considered to be perhaps for the most part if you look at ratings across the board the the most liked the most loved uh, the most rated movie of of all star trek movies uh, including the, the latest perhaps so um so i for one don't put it up there at number one i've already said that last week number six is that for me but um yeah if, if it's not quite doing it for you we, we could be in for some some interesting reviews over the next few movies I think you know. Like, I think I'm committed to these movies, Paul. I'm, I'm going to see them through, and I'm intrigued. Like, I think it's going to be give me good context because I'm I'm also committed to at least trying out the next generation. Is that the right title? Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Been doing. Um, and I, I think this hopefully will give me some good sort of context of the of the, of the Star Wars universe. And if nothing else, like it's been kind of fun. And I like to think of myself when I'm watching these these old timey movies as I'm like Paul. I'm watching old movies. <laughs> great, great. I, I love the fact that you're thinking I'm like Paul. That's, that's an aspiration that many people should have. Um, this movie, this movie is, um, you know, the the emotion of of Spock's sacrifice at the end is obviously what people get drawn into. Um, a great moment, a great death scene. Um, and uh yeah just a really really powerful powerful message um you, you're right about the reveal of khan for, for star trek fans you know having seen him in the 60s series and the most bizarre of episodes to sort of choose to do a sequel to um and as you say that the he-man vibe with the the plastic chest piece that he's wearing under his you know it's it, it is all a little bit much at times, but Ricardo Montalban as can just that, that um, there's some, some great lines, um, some really, you know, that idea of him being that superhuman, uh, super brain, but, you know, still being outwitted by Kirk and Spock, you know, cause you won't beat those guys. Um, it's, it's a wonderful movie. The, the uniforms, as you say, uh, Savick, really, really good. Um, just, yeah, just some great music as well. So James Horner did the score for this one, completely different. It's 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 a wonderful ride. I I, I just feel so unprepared for you coming in with two movies. Each week you're doing it to me, Dan. It's brilliant. I feel like, you know, one thing I would say about this movie, I think because I think it's got more potential to from like as a as a new person exploring the, the Trek universe. I think it's got more potential for me to be a movie I might come back to mm. and appreciate more over time. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I'm I, – I think what the problem is is I've actually kind of been – I've been ruined. I've been ruined by this Kelvin timeline of the, of the Abrams movie. I've kind of been even ruined by the – not that I've really – seen discovery but i've kind of been ruined by the the modernness of it and the mm. the slightly different pace whereas i need to get myself in the the mindset of a, a more character driven like more like we're having a submarine battle than we're having a spitfire battle type type thing um and look look i i, I do think that, that, that this was ultimately yeah, i think a, a good movie um it's just it just feels like again, like I've got so, I've got so much Star Star Trek content to get through, mm. um, and look, it's we're headed in the right direction. 
Yeah, and this movie is almost forty years old, right? And eighty two. So the good th- the good news is, is with each movie that you watch, you're going to be jumping forward in time. You know, but only as far as ninety one if you get to Undiscovered Country, and then of course there's the Next Generation movies. But are you going to watch those? Or are you going to watch the series first? If you're going to watch the series, you're going to be watching it for years because there's you know one hundred and seventy eight episodes. So it's I this... start with the episodes though. I would start in like in like canon order. Would I be going with the, the TV show first? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so very, very interesting. Um, yeah, this movie, I could I could talk about it for hours, but I won't because this is your segment and I'm just responding to it. But uh, I do love the story of revenge the and the idea, which you, you sort of, I guess you pick up on from the original episode that they talk about is that these people, Khan and his people, had been put onto a planet to sort to live, but of course something went horribly wrong, and you know SETI Alpha Five, you know, wasn't what they thought they'd found, and so they'd actually sort of imprisoned him in a really inhumane environment. You know, the creepiness of those things that crawl into your ears. I mean, there's just so many great moments, it's, and it's got that real '80s feel. And there's going to be some more '80s moments to come, particularly when we get to number four. Um, so. Ronald, next week. Yeah, so look, I'll I'll be back with. I'm I'm not sure I'll be able to do another two every week, but I'll I'll at least try and get another one done. Um, and we'll see we'll see how we go. But yeah, look, good recommendation, Paul. I think I'm I, I think I'm so keen to like the next generation. I feel like it's I'm going to be disappointed in myself if I don't like it because I feel like everyone I know loves it, and I I want to love it too. Mm. Okay, well, that's that's going to be interesting because as a huge Star Trek fan, I will tell you now, I do not like The Next Generation Season 1 and Season 2. I, 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 find, oh. it, I, I find it... I find it hard to watch. It's aged badly, lighting, uniforms. If you don't like the uniforms of motion picture, where'd you get to the, the next generation? Uh, and... It really kicks off for me quite well with season three. And I'm going to argue the case that you could probably watch the pilot episode of Next Generation and almost jump straight to season three. And if, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what other people might think about that. It's hard for me because I feel like, like I'm someone who likes to, I want to watch it all. But I feel like there's too much for me to watch it all. So I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have to make some of these cuts. Otherwise I'm gonna be here talking about Star Trek for years. Yes, you, you know? will. That'll be the wrath of Dan. Oh, I forgot to do my uh my Dan's log. That's what I was gonna do. I forgot all about it. Dan's log, start date, twenty third September, twenty twenty. I feel like you need oh, to give it some Shatner if you're gonna do the log. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna do the log. All right, maybe next week. Maybe okay. Next week. Okay, so, yeah, that's about all I've been watching, apart from, obviously, Criminal, which we're both about to talk to, and then our, our movie of the week. So should we maybe have a bit of a, a chat about Criminal UK Season 2? Mm, yeah, so so yeah, so that's one of the main things I watched this week, hence why I was pretty quick this week. Uh, uh, season 2. Um, oh, I guess I should start. You know, if you haven't seen this show before, basically, basically, you should go watch it because I recommend it to anyone. It's a classic, um, classic. You know, they call it cat and mouse drama. You know, focuses on that intense mental battle between detectives and suspects, all within the confines of a police interrogation room or interview room. And then you've got the two-way mirror. So you've got 
uh, you know, the, the other people on the other side of the glass watching and picking up on subtle clues and body language and different other things. So season one had four different iterations. There was the UK version, France, Spain, and Germany, all with the same setup, all with the same set, all set within the confines of that interview room. And this is... Uh, season two of the uk one i'm not sure if there's going to be a german one or french or spanish but um i don't see why not um so so yes if you haven't watched it we will i think be talking probably spoilers eh, dan i think so yeah i think so so what what do you think first of all dan i'll let you um give us your first assessment um so when this kind of the the dropping of season two kind of caught me by surprise, I guess. I guess I knew it was coming, but I wasn't. I, I I wasn't ready for it. And then when you mentioned to me that season two is out, I was kind of like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And then I was like, oh god, I've got to watch that so we can so we can talk about it. And as soon as I was five minutes into the first episode, I was like, God, I forgot how much I love this show. Mm-hmm. And we're only talking about four episodes per season but they are four high quality episodes and some of the things that they do throughout the the season some of the you know it's basically always shot in one of three locations so it's always shot either um, inside the interview room on the other side of the window or in in the corridor um, before Mm. you come into the interview room that's right and what they can do with storytelling in that space is absolutely incredible and they always have like a, a mixture of, of really good people that they're interviewing. Um, and I think this season is no no ex- exception to that. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I would probably be a terrible detective because they, we're always about 20 minutes into this person's story. And I'm like, yep, I believe you. That checks out. <laughs> you know, you sound pretty straight up. And then within minutes there, they're, busting holes in those cases, unraveling the whole story, turning the whole thing on its head. And I'm just always so convinced, and I think this is something about the the acting and quality of the show, that I always have a, this kind of empathy for the person that's been interviewed, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm team detective, when they're kind of really um, breaking the case down and trying to work out how they can solve the case. So, no, like, I really, really enjoyed it, and at the end of it, these four episodes had made me think I'd actually quite like to go back and, mm. and watch it from the beginning. And it doesn't take long, as you say, to, to go back. And uh, there is a little bit of a tie-in with the first season as well, because, of course, you, you've got those sort of B stories that is all around sort of the relationships between the detectives uh, and the various sort of social dynamics they have. And then there's the guy that comes in at the end in that fourth episode. Um, yeah, it's a brilliant set of episodes top draw you know this was a a top 10 tv show for 2019 it will be a top 10 tv show for 2020 mainly because we've got very little content but even if we had all the content in the world i think it would still be in the top 10 because it is as you say that good i think the final episode of the four was probably my favorite um i I really found that quite an interesting story so that i really like the way they changed direction in that so they sort of like they started on one case, decided, okay, no, definitely your story checks out. You know, we've asked Dan, you're, you're innocent. And uh, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about another case. Uh, and also the, in that episode, just such a solid performance from um, Kanal Naya uh, as Sandeep. Um, 
he's someone who I normally picture with a huge smile on his face. Uh, he's uh, the guy from Big Bang Theory. I can't think of the name of the character he plays in that show now. Um, I, I can't I'll think. Just of that point. Yeah, yeah, but he, he was just. He's just sinister. He's calculating. He's, Rash. yeah, the guy Rash. That's it. Yeah, and it just like he was just fully immersed in that role and just absolutely brilliant. So yeah, that 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 fourth episode was probably the pick of the bunch for me. Although I do have things to say about the others, but I'm keen to hear what you what your pick of the bunch might be. Yeah, I think that the I'm really torn. I think the fourth episode is definitely the this the star performance for me. And I think as soon as um as as soon as um kind of came into the room, I was like, I know that guy. And as soon as I kind of pieced together the actually you're from the Big Bang Theory, it just really reinforced for me my view that I think actors come into the criminal TV show and I think they have such an amazing time. They get to really play a character and they have to do it with all of their craft. They don't, um, they don't, there's no special effects. There's no um, big cinematic storytelling. This is all about emotion, what your eyes portray, that your body language, everything about it. And I, I bet you they have a, a great time doing it. Mm. I think one of the yeah, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably say number four is is my favorite episode as well. I I also really enjoyed episode three, um mm-hmm. about Danielle. Yep. And just like a, a real different a real different case in the interview room, particularly around uh, again the the impact of a I guess a, a vigilante yeah. and the yeah. and the outcome of, of some of the things they do. But the, the episode I actually want to give a a bit of a nod to, I think, is, is episode two, which which was called Alex. And that's got um Kit Harrington from uh, Game of Thrones in it. What was really interesting for me about that episode is there's a whole bunch of um subtle things in here, and I'm sure I've probably missed half of them, but I imagine if you're at film school, you'd be dining out on this for for years. Things like you know, throughout that whole episode, he kind of is trying to justify what he did and what happened with um, this girl and how it's kind of derailed his life. And the the lawyer, his lawyer was trying to basically give him counsel. And then at the end of the episode, when uh, Kit Harrington basically asked the the detective and the lawyer to stay behind. The lawyer doesn't come and sit back on his side of the table. Mm. The lawyer sits on the side of the table of the detective. And I just thought that was, it was so powerful for me because it was kind of like, I, I'm not on your side. I'm on, I'm on the side of the detective here. And I just think there's so many moments like that about the way that people either position themselves in the interview room, the way that the camera kind of shows them Mm -hmm. the, the nods and looks they give, like there's a another scene like in the, uh, episode four where Sandeep is actually sitting on like a, a profile view to the interviewers. And again, like it's like kind of just a, a subtle power play. And there's so many moments like that that just make it so enjoyable. Yep. Jim Field Smith's the director and the creator of the show. And his what you've picked up on there is just when i i'd miss that diana funnily enough picked up on it straight away as well when when the lawyer came back she said straight away you know oh they're set on 
on the other side now and then I, when she said that i was like oh yeah you're right really really great that episode was good uh kit harrington i haven't really seen much of him myself and i thought he was really really good you know playing that sort of arrogant smooth talking um what was he a salesman or a, a real estate uh, agent uh, that's right yeah yeah, but um, you know, I mean, with such serious, you know, very sensitive charges against him, so tense. Um, but the thing I actually appreciated the most out of that episode was actually, and again, I don't know if you noticed this. He opens that episode with one of the longest, yeah. uninterrupted pieces of solo dialogue I've ever seen, and he really, really nails it. And that's where I start. You know, like you were talking about actors coming in and really enjoying. It. I think that's 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 the true talent is the ability to be able to, you know, remember that much dialogue and then deliver it the way he did. That was um, that was really fantastic. And uh, just to your point on the third episode, uh, Danielle, I need to give a shout out to just looking at Sharon Horgan. I, I don't, I haven't seen her before, but I, I think I should give credit to her because her character really annoyed me. And I think that's just a result of how well she played her. You know, this is the, uh, the pesticide vigilante character who was, um, you know, basically trying to tackle, uh, you know, a bunch of, um, online predators. So you sort of, you, you, you empathize with, with her, her rationale and her, her, her motivation, but uh, then you sort of, you unpack the things she's done and it all becomes quite crazy. Um, and also, yeah, since we talked about all of the, uh, just to go back to that first episode, um, Sophie Okanido, she was pretty impressive as Julia. Uh, that's the one where she self incriminates herself by giving away some details. So, you know, when you sort of talk about the, the things that you wouldn't pick up, oh yeah, your story checks out and she, she really looked like her story checked out, but then all of a sudden there's some details that only the coroner would have known. She was very, very good. I thought really calculating once she knew that they were onto her, you could just see something change about her demeanor and her body posture. And it was, yeah, quite scary. Great, great TV show. I also just love seeing kind of the the inner workings of how the people behind the behind the glass also have such an important role in looking for towels, looking like fact checking information and like such a team effort to crack some of these cases. I think in episode four, when they bring back the uh, detective or now is a police officer mm-hmm. um, and even how he sits in the chair of the lead interviewer. Yeah. What, a, what a power play. Yeah. What a he, wants, he wants back in and uh as a result of what he did you sort of you start thinking oh maybe this guy you know even if he did you know do some do something that he you know he shouldn't have done in the first season uh maybe give him another shot uh it's just you you open this by saying this is four high quality episodes and i guess that's what keeps it special because i was sort of coming into this thinking my complaint is actually you know, after four episodes, I just, I just feel like I just want more. And I just feel like, you know, given that it's all filmed inside the, these two rooms and the corridor, it seems like, you know, as an experienced TV producer, I, I understand these things, right? It seems pretty simple that you've, you've already got the things that all you really need now is the cast and some good stories and you can start shooting these episodes. But, um, you know, like you say, maybe they're, they're really focusing on that well done story, the, the camera angles. It's kind of like Sherlock, you know, I always wanted more of that. And they only have did three episodes of that a year. It's, um, it just, it's, it, you get to the end of episode four and you, you're ready for more. That's how I felt. Um, so yeah, I completely I, and that's why I think I might actually go back and watch the other episodes again because I think they're they're really enjoyable. 
Um, and I, I wonder whether I, I'm not sure whether they'll. It'll be interesting. Maybe the, the ratings will, I guess, decide on whether they do the the other versions, like the the, the German. Um, what were the other ones? France, Spain, Germany. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking. There's, there's nothing on any of the pages that I can see online indicating that these guys are coming back for a second season, which I find shocking because, actually, with season one, um, I actually found that with the exception of the the David Tennant episode, uh, I actually f- found that the German one actually to be the, uh, the the best. I thought that was uh, the best. But this this season two of the UK I think is stronger than any of the previous iterations um, actually finally uh, so just really really quick I want to shout out to that guy uh, Lee Ingleby who plays Tony you know the main detective guy with the glasses I can't put my finger on it but I just love that guy I just find him absolutely superb he was the guy who played the um, the bad guy in Line of Duty season 5 I just I just find that he's just I don't know he's just so plain and ordinary he likes a cup of tea and biscuits maybe I relate to him a bit he's just he's just great I yeah I think it's, it's interesting too and I think we probably haven't given enough of a shout out to the actual the, the, the actors that play the detectives because they equally mm-hmm. do such a, a great job of having these kind of backstories as people that have got jobs and actually cracking these cases and working with these, you know, sometimes, you know, big, big talent. I was wondering whether, and I, I know it sort of confused me at the time, I wonder whether releasing all of those criminals for different countries kind of muddied the waters of like is this just the same thing uh mm-hmm. same stories but um in a different language or are these completely new stories and i i know that they're completely new stories but i wonder whether that kind of they tried mm. to do something a little bit too cutting cutting edge and it, it didn't quite land yeah fair fair cool i think um i would agree with that i think what probably concerns me is just the fact that there's nothing on the page sort of thing oh this has been developed or season two will be released there's, there's just nothing so uh I might do some digging around because, yeah, if you're not already hooked by listening to us, then um, I don't think you ever will be because, yeah, it's either it's either if you're not hooked, you're, it's just not for you. Yeah, and I think that there's so there's so much great British television, and that this is this is well up there. So, it, anyway, we could go on about British television for for a very long time. Indeed, Paul. I wonder. I wonder whether we should move on to our movie of the week. Let's do it. This was. So uh, this was oh, you go, you go. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was going to say so. For our new listeners, every week we we have a a movie of the week where you can find out what that is in our Discord channel. Um, if you want to watch along and then hear our thoughts and share your thoughts, we'd we'd love to hear them. Uh, this week was uh, Paul's choice. Paul, what did you have in store for us? So, yeah, so a couple of choices, and uh, the one you chose for my two choices was The Zookeeper's Wife, uh, World War II movie set uh, in Poland at the Warsaw Zoo. Mm. Do you want to give the the synopsis on this one, or are you? Uh, You can go, you can go. So... As war brews over in 1939 Warsaw, and while life is still running its course, the Germans are gradually making their presence felt. 
and we pick up the story uh, with the zookeepers of the Warsaw Zoo and Tonina and, and Jan. And basically, this is the story of how they save hundreds of people. This is a true story. This is the story of how they save hundreds of people and animals, should be noted, uh, during the Nazi invasion in World War II Poland. And uh, you know, just, just like the... The last three movies in a row now, so this one, Papillon and The Old Man and the Gun, the thing that I've enjoyed about them is that true story element. I find that it often brings something more to a movie, and this is this is no exception. In fact, if anything, um, just like Papillon, this is this this really hits home because you know, we're, we're looking at people people's bravery during a war and uh the saving of 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 humans lives and so um this movie uh has only one the two people in it who i actually know and everyone else was completely new to me which is also um quite refreshing as well um so we recently had jessica chastain as our peak performance actress of the week and i have to say this this movie ranks right up there with some of her best. I find her really convincing. I think she does a good accent. It wasn't distracting. I like, you know, I sort of, I also take my hat off to her for her willingness to get involved with some of those animal scenes when, you know, when the, they're getting a bit, you know, hectic in the zoo and elephants are giving birth and things. I'd say that's not something everyone does every day of the week. But no, this movie, this movie does impress me generally. Uh, and it's grown on me more and more as the week's gone on. I do have a few things to say about it, but Dan, what was your take on this? Um, this is an interesting one for me because I'm going to be honest, it's not probably a movie looking at both the title and the poster. I would have really probably ever watched without either being recommended, recommended it or it kind of been put on by somebody else and me being in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm, Definitely, like I enjoy a good true story. I really enjoy um, kind of anything World War II related. I always find that really interesting. I found this movie incredibly sad at times, like Mm. particularly around like I just I hate to see any animals get killed, and and the way that some of those scenes go down in this film is horrific. Mm -hmm. Um. I feel like I'm going to be a bit of a broken record. Um, I think this is a story that couldn't be done justice as a movie. And I think what I found is kind of like a, 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 a sort of a slower pace kind of build up and kind of scene setting and um, lots of focus on uh, Jessica Chastain and, and her husband and, and son. And then we kind of like leaped forward in time quite quickly to the to the end of the war and a story that very much focused around um, their role and obviously it was a great role. They saved people, they saved animals, they did some heroic things. I feel like where the film could have done better, again, as a as a movie director, Paul, you know, mm-hmm. throwing out my opinions, I feel like they could have done a little bit more to tell some of the stories of the Jewish people, and I didn't feel like like I felt like there was more energy and effort put into the 
the animals yeah. than the people that they were protecting and saving. And I I wanted to see more of that. And it made me think, did the movie need to be 30 minutes longer? Did it? Like, I liked it, but I wouldn't – I still probably wouldn't, like, I wouldn't – I don't know whether I'd recommend it. Yeah. No, fair enough. I uh, I definitely know what you mean because that animal element did play a large part in it. And you're right. I think maybe they did sort of focus in more on that at times. Um, it's, I think, actually, you know, my criticism of the movie was actually that it was, it was like, it was similar to you, but it was overly slow in places. Um, and I've talked before that I, I don't mind a slow pace, but as, as cool as the zoo is, right? I don't think that necessarily helped with that aspect of, of, of the movie. And it didn't maybe have the same impact that if you think about movies like Schindler's List or The Pianist or other things that have t- sort of told that similar type of story. It didn't have quite that that same that same aspect. Um, but I, I'm not saying I wanted action. In fact, the first thing I said to Diana when it finished was how you know I really enjoy seeing a story like this told and not having to rely on the action. I guess maybe it just didn't feel like a Saturday night movie to me, which is when I typically watch a movie. It was more like a, a rainy Sunday afternoon uh, type mm-hmm. of movie and um but that 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 tr- the true story nature of it is what really um helped me to sort of really come to appreciate it and it's as i sort of said at the start it's it's one of those ones that as as the, as the week has gone on my appreciation for the movie is sort of um sort of increased it's kind of that sort of think about that the, the bravery and despite all the horrors of the World War Two, reading at the end those numbers of people, the lives that were saved as a direct result of the heroics, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's you know, you think about the people since then, all the generations and children. There are literally thousands of people alive today as a result of Antonina's bravery, and you know, I imagine that zoo in Warsaw, which, as they said at the end, you know, it's still it's still still open today, has become a, a place that many people would visit for that very reason. I'd say. And look, I think if I was ever in Warsaw, I would go to the I would go to the zoo, and I would probably be like all pretentious about how I watched the movie. And now I'm at the zoo, and you should watch the movie. Um, and I think the thing that the fact that this was a true story, I think, actually probably lifts this up, and it's you know rating for me because I think it's like obviously. Like it wasn't that long ago, and so many terrible things happened. And I think heroes can come from anywhere through sort of all sorts of sort of small to large decisions and things that people do that have an impact in the future. I think one other thing I was going to say is, I think our 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 main bad guy, uh, Daniel um, Rule, um, who played. Um, Lutz, is that how I'd say it? Paul, you're fluent in German. Lutz. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, that's is good. Uh, good, good. I, I found it, he played like a stereotypical um, semi-nice guy. Now I'm a Nazi. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a bad guy. And now I'm, uh, I'm out doing horrible things to people. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sure that is probably the reality, but I feel like we've seen that transition of good guy to Nazi so many times, and I don't know. 
I don't know. It may, maybe that was the reality, but it didn't. I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd seen it before. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And um, I haven't seen this guy, uh, Daniel Brawl, in, in a long, a long while. Um, but I thought he did have a, this is not a nice thing to say perhaps, but I did think, I thought he had a convincing Nazi look about him and those final, final moments as he becomes really, you know, desperate. And yeah, I felt like he was like a re- he had a real loose cannon vibe about him. And that sort of added to his, his creepiness. Like, um, you know, the, the war is, is come to an end, the, the, the Nazi flags and things are being pulled down and all of a sudden, you know, he's, He's a loose cannon. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I thought he was good in the role for that he was given. Um, I think, yeah, the last time I saw him was when he played that guy in uh, Inglorious Bastards. He was the, he was the, you know, the guy, the master marksman. Um, that you know, he was the one who was taking out. He, he took out heaps of Nazis in that movie. This time, this time, he's he's got a slightly different role. But uh, no, I, th- I thought he played his part okay, given the script he was was given as you say if that was the reality of how it was then, then then that is that is what it was but um i hear what you're saying i hear what you're saying but i, I enjoyed him the other i think the the moments at the start where they're, they're talking about that like where they sort of show the show the zoo and the, the love and attention to it like i think that's what they, they did a good job of kind of pulling on the heartstrings to sort of show actually now the zoo's destroyed animals have either died in the process or need to be mm. Um, killed for because they can't be feared, and it was all, all kind of horrific. I think the um, the another character or another actor in the show, um, uh, Michael McEl Hatton, um, who plays uh, I'm not sure how you say his name, Josiah or Josic, Josic, who plays the the zookeeper. Yep. So he played um, Roose Bolton in the Game of Thrones, and he's 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 a very bad man um, in the Game of Thrones, and I. He's one of those actors now who pops up all around the place, and I cannot see him as anyone but Ruse Bolton yeah. in Game of Thrones. Some people, he, he's typecast. Yeah, definitely. that happens to some people, right? Yeah, no, I get you. I think too, you know, just, I was just thinking about my my comment about not getting enough story about the, particularly the 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 Jewish families that they were saving. Obviously, there is the the story of the the young girl. Um, mm. I guess you know things happen um but again not like i wanted to know more about the people that they were looking after and how like where they were kind of like ending up and i I feel like there's probably hundreds of stories they could have maybe fleshed out a little bit there for me yeah no agreed i i think um one of the things you said before i think you said it last week with papillon was um this would make a great little mini tv series you know you split this into five episodes double the time length of, that you've got here um and you could you could probably dive into those stories because that's that that's that's what the real story is about is those people of course when you when you put you know taking into account antoninia's uh, bravery it's um it's it's their story and i think the only story that we really do sort of see unfortunately are the the only two women that do end up sort of getting killed as a result you know they get found afterwards um but even that's very very limited in terms of story it would have been nice maybe even to have seen some of the after stories of once they have got a that you know maybe they've returned to their homes in poland those those sorts of things so uh yeah 
No, look, it was a uh, something different. Um, something, something, something interesting to watch. Um, it definitely, yeah. It's not a, it's not a Friday night popcorn movie, but I think maybe it's a, maybe it is a, a Sunday afternoon on the couch. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, so that is our movie of the week. If you want to find out what our next movie of the week is, join our Discord page. We normally announce that movie on Friday or Saturday once we've made a decision about what we're going to watch. But, yeah, if you've watched this movie, let us know your thoughts. Agree? Disagree? Even maybe you might even have a recommendation for us. Drop us a line. For sure. All right. So, Paul, must be time for some news. Tell me, Dan, what are the headlines in the entertainment world at this point? What have I got? What have I got? I don't have a lot of news for you. It's a, it's a relatively lightish news day. Um, what have I got? What have I got? Let me just uh, go over to a couple of my roving reporters. So She-Hulk. You may have heard of She-Hulk, Paul. Mm. Um, something that happens when when you make your wife angry, perhaps. This, this is something I saw in the Discord community, just talking to the Discord community. So uh, thanks to Michael from North Carolina bringing this one to the to the news. Yeah, so this is one of the new uh, Marvel uh, TV shows that's in development. And recently there's been cast, um, Tatiana uh, Maslany has been cast as, as She-Hulk for a, the Disney Plus show. And so you may remember uh, Tatiana from Orphan Black, which is a TV show, had about four seasons, I believe. But I think really great actress, really looking forward to seeing what they do with She-Hulk. I actually don't know a lot about uh, the She-Hulk character, but it's a a series I've been really interested in reading some more comics about. Do you know much about She-Hulk, Paul? No, I literally have not read any comics. So uh, so I've not literally read any comics with her character in it. So no, I've got nothing. So my my general understanding is that uh, She Hulk uh, basically needs a blood transfusion. She's the cousin of Bruce Banner, and obviously takes on some of his gamma infected blood, um, becomes She Hulk, but she's much more controlled than Bruce Banner, and has her has her anger and stuff under control. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, stays in green form all of the time there has been i think some variations to that over the years so i don't know what they're going to do with the marvel tv series but i'm i'm definitely really interested to see what they're going to do with her i'm really interested to see because i know they've got some desires to um bring her into the the marvel cinematic universe and see how all of that connects together so it's it's definitely a show i'm going to be watching when it comes out i've also got uh what have i got a cancellation so I'm not sure whether you watched this one, Paul, but well, you might remember it from your childhood, The Dark Crystal. Mm, yeah, so I heard so, about that, yeah. Yeah, so Dark Crystal was a, a movie from the, the 80s. Um, I, I remember this movie being on every Christmas Eve or Christmas Day for some reason, and I feel like I have seen this movie a lot. Um, but I never watched the um, – only one season of the TV show came out, but I imagine the production cost to – produce uh, a, a puppet tier quality TV show would have been um, quite a bit of effort, but unfortunately it's just been cancelled. So I'm not sure what else I can say to that, but if, if you're a fan of The Dark Crystal, unfortunately it's, it's coming to an end. 
Yeah, I, n- I never got into it. Uh, Diana certainly did. She's got the original movie and uh, she's watched the, the new stuff. But um, yeah, it is a shame because it, from what I heard, it seemed to be getting decent reviews, but obviously not enough to keep it going. Yeah, yeah. And then I've only got one other bit of news. So this is something that's just kind of emerged over the last couple of days, a little bit of a, a different piece of news for us. But I thought as we are both Battlestar Galactica fans, we might be interested in it. So Michael Hogan, you may know from Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. he plays Soul. Mm-hmm. And so he this year actually suffered a a, a bit of a, a terrible accident. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, Paul. Um, head injury. Basically, it was at a, a Comic-Con convention, um, didn't immediately sort of treat it, and then a whole bunch of terrible things happened, um, lost a whole bunch of physical sort of controls and had to talk and see and um, all those types of things. And obviously with COVID, it's been um, really hard to get treatment. And uh, Michael Hogan's obviously an actor who's been around for a long time, but there's mm. his wife has actually recently gone public and started a, a GoFundMe campaign to try and raise some funds to, to get him the, the treatment that he's needed. And the original goal of this GoFundMe campaign was I think 150000 and just looking at it now, it's it's already at two hundred and fourteen thousand, which I I think is is, is awesome. I, I love to see when people get around a, a good campaign like this, and I've been seeing people like um like you know Starbucks from Battlestar Galactica yep. doing a, doing a shout out on Twitter to try and yep. um you know try and help out some of these these people that we you know we we love on TV shows, and also you know sometimes um some unfortunate things happen. So, yeah, hopefully Michael Hogan gets the, the treatment that he needs and can sort of get on a, a bit of a path to recovery, whatever that may look like. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I did hear about that, and I did see various retweets popping up from from various people, including from uh, Roddenberry.com. I think that's how I first heard about it, was through their retweet. And, um, yeah, he's I love the character of um, Saul Tai. Um, just, prob- in fact, I'll go on the record, probably my favorite character from that show. Uh, once, once you put Admiral Adama up on a pedestal, he's the next guy down, right? Uh, he also was fantastic in Man in the High Castle. What about well, well, that's, that's a different kettle of fish. And in fact, we should, we should, we should dive into a Battlestar um, story uh, episode one day. Sorry. Um, and Fargo was the other one. That's the other one I think of. Yeah. So Fargo, oh, yeah, great he, he was really, really good in that as well. And so, yeah, no, really horrible news and great to see so much uh, so much money being raised. Um, wish them all the best, eh? Definitely. What about you, Paul? What have you got on the on the news desk? Um, well, there's the 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 rumor desk, the gossip desk that um, brings us the news of Tom Hardy potentially likely being cast as James Bond, second Bond, second oldest Bond uh, behind Roger Moore. So. Tom Hardy's currently 43. Roger Moore was 46 when he did Live and Let Die. So um, I guess if he gets the role, I guess that means, you know, even after just three movies, even if the earliest was like, I don't know, 2022, you know, he's going to be over 50 by the time he gets to that third movie. So so he is coming in late, but I think that's fine. I think he's uh, he's got a great look for a Bond. He's got a great range of voices. So yeah, it'd be up to him what sort of voice he brings to that role, if that turns out to be true. So let's not get too far down the rabbit hole. I think that would be uh, a fantastic choice of Bond. 
I think that like I'm a huge Tom Hardy fan and I would definitely support his bid for James Bond. I'm also an Idris Elba fan, so either mm. either of those options would be right up there for me. I I actually quite like an older James Bond, I think. Mm. Um, and I think Tom Hardy would make a – I think we've seen a badass Daniel Craig, but I think seeing a badass Tom Hardy, whole nother level. Very interesting. Let's uh... – Let's 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 revisit this whole conversation once we get something official because the bookies have stopped taking money on any on Tom Hardy, which is always a good sign that you know they're not in the the business of losing money, are they? Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, so um, we had the Emmys uh, take place this week, and both Succession and Shit's Creek pretty much cleaned up at the Emmys. Uh, and I'm a really big Shit's Creek fan. Very, very funny series. It gets better and better with each series. So I was really pleased to see them win all all nine comedy awards, um, which has never been done before. Um, it's really well deserved. And Dan, I know you're you're a big fan of Succession, so some some wins for both of us there. Yeah, definitely. It's um Shit's Creek is a series like I've watched the first season and this I'm pretty sure I've watched a few episodes of season two, but it, I just constantly keep hearing rave reviews. I'm I'm going to need to get back on that bandwagon. Um, I'm, I'm clearly missing out again. I, I've already missed out on the Star Trek train. I can't be missing out on the Shit Creek train. Train, correct. And the last thing I have, which really isn't news at all, but I want to bring it to the table anyway, and that is. Um, the latest advert for Uber Eats stars Mark Hamill, uh, for obviously Luke Skywalker, and Patrick Stewart, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, uh, advertising Uber Eats. All I can say is just, if you haven't seen it, just Google it. it. It's less than 60 seconds, and if you like Star Wars and Star Trek, you'll get a real a real kick out of it. And that's all I've, that's all I've got, Dan. Awesome, awesome. And that must be about time to take us to the, the mailbag. You've got mail. You've got mail. Here we go. So uh, first up, we have so we had our, our movie review of The Penland last week. Um, we had someone we haven't heard from before respond on Twitter, Catalina Layers. Uh, she said, I listened to your podcast review of Papillon. I agree. Great remake remake sorry i love both actors in it especially rami malik uh, so that was that was great uh, thanks for writing in um i reviewed the undiscovered country which we'll obviously be doing a deeper dive into once you get there dan um so kim cattrall um she played spock's vulcan prodigy um in, in this movie. She's perhaps better known as Samantha from uh, Sex in the City. Um, she saw our um, Star Trek 6 post and she gave us a like on both our Twitter and our Instagram pages, which I thought was um, pretty nice. Um, she was great in that movie. And I have to say, with hearing you talk about Kirstie Alley, um, I think Kim Cattrall did a great job following in the, you know, I'm giving you a bit of spoilers here, but you know, following in the footsteps of Kirstie Alley because uh, pretty much one of only three actresses who've ever played a Vulcan in Star Trek movies so and a really pivotal role as well. So um, so it was great to have uh, her getting amongst two of our social media channels. That was, uh, that was great. We also had a bunch of people weigh in on uh, um, the, the, the Trek chat from last week. Uh, we 
who did we have here? We had a Geek Girl Review. Um, she went with Star Trek Four as her favorite movie. We had Street Art Fan went with Star Trek Two, Wrath of Khan. Ash Gardner went with First Contact, um, but did also agree that Undiscovered Country a close second. We had Richard Uranga went with Undiscovered Country 2, mentioning that he loved seeing it uh, in the theater as a kid. We also had people getting involved um, in our conversations. So they picked up on where you were talking about where to start your Star Trek journey. And my my favorite response, uh, this one was on Twitter. This is from a guy called called Shane, who came out with a what I consider to be a great reply. He said, "Probably Voyager." He would start you off on Star Trek Voyager, and he thinks it has issues, but starts very strong compared to the Next Generation, taking two seasons to warm up. Deep Space Nine is my favorite. Well, I feel like that works better if you're already familiar with the universe. So I think this is. I really appreciate this reply because he picks up on what I just talked about before, but next generation takes a couple of seasons to get going. Yeah. And they, we're talking eighties seasons. So we're talking 26 episodes per season. And then he's quite right. Deep space nine is good once you've got that context. So in some ways, Voyager is kind of like a, an easy place to start because basically this is kind of a spoiler alert, but it all happens within the first episode. This, this Voyager series is all about a ship that's just, you know, cruising along and then suddenly gets flung to the other side of the universe which would take even at maximum warp would take like 75 years to get back to earth so it's a really good call because it's kind of a i wouldn't recommend it myself starting with voyager but i think it was, I, I really appreciated the argument that shane put forward so um so that was great so thanks for that shane what else have we got um do you want to do you want to talk on that then yeah, I'd, I'd also add in uh, Trisha Brady's comment, who's one of our uh, Patreon producers of the show. And so her recommendation was to also start with the movies that, that you put me on um, and also with the added component of maybe listening to some of the, the Mission Log podcasts uh, where, they, where they do a bit of a, mm. a deep dive uh, into, in, in reviewing the episodes and then and then watch the ones that sound interesting. Um, Trisha also had um, some comments on our peak performances. She agreed with um, Storm for um, Halle, uh, sorry, Halle Berry's performance as Storm in X-Men. And Gary Oldman, too, me, too many to pick, um, but her top three were Sirius Black um, from the Harry Potter films, Zorg in The Fifth Element, um, and Stansfield and Leon, which were pretty similar to, to my picks, if I if I recall. I don't think I mentioned The Fifth Element, but again, very, very great call. Great stuff. Great, great to have Trisha involved in the convo. Um, we also uh, had Trisha's mate Paddy weigh in on the uh, peak performance for Gary Oldman, gave a couple of shouts. We had, we had votes for The Fifth Element, and uh, also Paddy went with Air Force One. I forgot that. I forgot that Gary Oldman was the bad guy in that. How did I forget that? Um, but he also gave an honourable mention. And this might be something that means something to you. Uh, Gary Oldman did the voice of uh, Sergeant Victor Reznov in the Call of Duty franchise. So uh, mm-hmm. a bit of a, a different shout out there. Um, we had some... What else we have? Oh, we have some late entries for for um, for Daniel Day Lewis actually. So uh, a lot of people suddenly the conversation for Daniel Day Lewis actually picked up, um, which doesn't always happen, you know, as weeks go by. But we had a lot of people 
come in. We had like three people come in and talk about in the name of the Father. All of a sudden, we had this this whole bunch of people coming in. Um, Babylon Idol, um, Sakshi Singh, and uh, Tesni Mova. All these people, and so we have all coming through with in the name of the Father. So, um, so that was that was great. Uh, we also had uh, votes from Geek Girl Review again uh, on Instagram. Went with Dracula and Fifth Element. Uh, and then on Halle Berry, we also had Bruce Gray come in and um, fair play to him. He stood up for Catwoman and said it was not as bad a movie as it was made out to be. So maybe I was overly harsh. I don't know. I think I only saw it the once, um, but maybe I need to maybe I need to do a a, a rewatch there. I'm not sure. So, um, so yeah, so a whole bunch of things in the mailbag, which is, is great. If you'd like to get involved. As we said at the top of the show, you can get in touch with us at Half Measures Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can drop us a line at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Awesome. We love it when uh, when we hear from you guys as well and you know hear your choices and, and hear some of your other recommendations. Like I've actually watched quite a few different movies uh, through different recommendations people have made through the mailbag. So, yeah, keep it up. It's awesome. Hmm. Peak performance time, Dan. Peak performance. Okay, so for those new listeners, so every week Paul and I pick an actor and an actress, and we we choose what we think is their is their peak performance. And so, just like each week, we take a, take turns choosing the the movie we're going to watch. Uh, it was my turn this week to pick an actor and an actress, and I picked Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. Great choice. So, Paul. I'm going to let you go first this week, and Della's choice. Who would you like to start with? Uh, let's go. I've got Michael Douglas up on the screen here. I just brought his profile up, so um, we'll start there. It's interesting because when I think of Michael Douglas, I I always think of him. Always think of him in those three classic '80s movies. So I'm talking um, Fatal Attraction. Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. For me, he's just immortalized in those roles. But um, but the, the actual first film I thought of when you when you said Michael Douglas was actually a movie called Falling Down. I'm not sure if you if you've seen this one. I just I remember going to see this in the cinema when it came out in '93, and I've always just thought it was such a relatable movie. It's about this guy, you know, who just he's, he's sort of a law-abiding mild-mannered man but then it's just the little things just push him just a little too far and you know i feel that everything that annoys him kind of annoys me in some ways and he plays it really really well but then obviously he, he just goes way too far and i love there's this scene in a movie where he buys a burger and then he gets into this full-on argument basically saying that the burger doesn't look anything like it does in the picture and you know then he's, he's got a gun and it's just, it's just crazy um so yeah i think i think i'd pick that as my as my runner-up for michael douglas um and i actually actually came close to giving the winner to his performance in ant-man um because uh, that's something i saw him more recently um and i really enjoyed him again he sort of played that grizzled older father character type and i really i really liked him in that but in the end my winner went to the 97 movie uh, the game um which was a movie i never saw it when it came out in 97 but um 
Diana got me to watch it because she loves it. And I have to say, it is great. And Douglas is superb in it. It's, um, it's a David Fincher movie who's probably in my top 10 directors of all time. Another podcast just waiting for us to do, Dan. Um, he, he really gets a great performance out of Michael Douglas in this movie. And, and uh, yeah, so he's this, he's playing this man, a really wealthy, really, really wealthy man who's basically got everything. And so no one knows what to get him for a birthday present. And so someone buys him this ticket to play a game with this company where they, they basically mess with your life and do pranks and all sorts. And uh, it, it's just like, you just don't know what's going what's real and what's part of the game. And, you know, watching Michael Douglas and the journey he goes on that movie, he's, he's so good. And it's just exhausting. I would say other than what was that sound Adam Sandler movie that we watched recently? Um, the uncut gems, yeah. yeah other than that movie i would say it's the most frantic tiring movie i've ever watched the game and it's it's uh it's a great performance so yeah that's my my peak performance uh for for michael douglas paul i think we're we're actually weirdly quite in sync um with some of our, our choices and some of the, the movies that you've talked about i again i've got this sort of Michael Douglas has brought up a, a lot of memories growing up, particularly with movies like, as you said, like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. Felt like, you know, watching those movies, like, you know, felt a little bit naughty to watch those um, in, our, in our younger days. Yeah. I remember going to the movies to see Falling Down, and this is actually my, my, my runner-up choice. And coming, like, going into that movie thinking I was going in to watch a comedy, because the trailer kind of sold it as this this man that was kind of like broken and and it actually I went and it wasn't a comedy and it was a movie that I didn't actually come to appreciate until I kind of started working full time and then it's a movie that stuck with me and as I've seen it again over the years I'm like I get it I get it I get falling down it's not a comedy this is life yeah, um, right. and everything about it is is so on point and and so real and I think the the mild-mannered man who just kind of has a, a – uh, he's just had enough and he it just gets – it goes from uh, bad to worse. Um, and I think he plays a, a really great character in that. I also agree with you with the Ant-Man um, nod again as, as Dr. Hank Pym. So good. So good. I think he plays a really awesome father figure. But for me, my peak performance is I'm actually going to go with the 1984 Romance in the Stone and I don't know if this movie, where this movie stacks up in today's age, but I watched this movie a lot as a kid. And it was kind of had a bit of an Indiana Jones vibe to it. Um, nowhere near in that sort of, I guess, quality um, or or funness. To it. But I remember it being a movie that was just on all the time. We must have had it recorded on VHS. Yeah. Um, and just... just I remember it being a lot of fun and a movie that I could watch a lot without kind of getting bored. And so as soon as I was, when I was looking through Michael Douglas lists of movies, I thought to myself, Romancing the Stone, it brought back all the, all the good memories, all the good vibes. And it kind of took me to a, a happy place and would um, pick performance for me. That's nice. It's great. What I love about it is, and I don't, I don't know why I do this, but whenever I look at the actor or actress we're talking about is I always look at on the IMDb page, the top four movies that they've got there, which they've obviously picked as pinnacle or cliche or, or whatever. And this is, I think this is the first time that neither of us 
have actually chosen either a runner-up or a winner in Michael Douglas. So Michael Douglas has his four movies as Wall Street, um, Behind the Candelabra, uh, Fatal Attraction, and Basic Instinct. So I think none of our runner-up or winners are in there. So um, that's that's great. We've broken it. I think too, like, like there is this. It's it's so hard because there often is so many good movies, mm. and I think the fact that we're both talking about the the same kind of runner-up choices. Like it's cool. It's great. It's good. It's good. All right, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. So quickly acknowledging the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas have had these great careers, never acted opposite each other until suddenly we get to Ant Man, and so that was uh, that was quite interesting that those two came together in that movie. Michelle Pfeiffer is one of the. She's just one of those all-time great voices for me. Just an unmistakable voice that's that's so so good. I f- I feel like I haven't seen her anything that recently. Maybe other than Ant Man, but then I I realized I actually had seen her in Murder on the Orient Express, which um, she was quite good. In. But the last thing I sort of saw in her, which I really enjoyed, was funnily enough a, a comedy with De Niro called The Family, where she plays a a mob a mob boss's wife and she's she's hilarious in that it's a real good movie um if you're into mob movies De Niro comedy you're gonna love it and michelle five is fantastic in that the runner-up for me is what lies beneath and i've always enjoyed that movie which is particularly sort of notable for me because it's not my usual genre um but i thought she was great in it I thought she was terrifying in it. I think she has really good chemistry with Harrison Ford. Um, and, you know, Harrison Ford, obviously, you know, he's an all-time favorite actor of mine. But when I think of this movie, I, I think of it as a Michelle Pfeiffer movie. So I think that's sort of, um, that's how strong I think she was in What Lies Beneath, um, a really, a really strong movie for her. And I think despite all the classic performances, and I do give a special shout out to, to Scarface, uh, her role in that, because I think that movie was the one I always remember because my dad let me watch it when I was like 15 or something. And I remember thinking, oh, this is pretty cool, mainly because I knew I shouldn't be watching it. Um, but despite all those those classic performances, the, the one I just cannot go past is her role in Batman Returns as Catwoman. And, you know, we talked last week, um, sorry, Bruce, um, but, you know, how maybe not to write Catwoman and the script that Halle Berry was given. This is the exact opposite. This, for me, is the single best Catwoman performance that is out there. It sort of set the bar for all those future Batman, uh, uh, sorry, all those future Catwoman roles. And, you know, also, I think, while I do love Batman Returns, I don't think it's quite as strong, not quite as strong as the, the 1989 Batman, but Michelle Pfeiffer's performance really lifts that movie up to being really, really close. And, you know, not just as Catwoman either. I think she was equally good as Selena Kyle. Um, I love the the scene she had opposite uh, Christopher Walken yeah. and you know, those scenes in her, in her flat with the cats when she starts sort of changing, following her rebirth and all those scenes. I thought when she's opposite Michael Keaton, they had really good chemistry, some really funny dialogue with Danny DeVito as the penguin. And, and she really kicked ass as well. I remember there's that rooftop scene where she sort of deals to Batman pretty badly. Um, so, so yeah, that that's where I'm going to go with Batman Returns. What about you? Yeah. So another, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's got an amazing back catalogue of um, of movies. Um, 
obviously it's sort of dropped off a little bit over the last few years, but you know what, still some great choices in there. Again, I think we're quite in sync. Definitely a shout out for her role as uh, Elvira in um, Scarface. Such a such a great movie, uh, and what what a movie to have in your in your back catalogue to be like. I was in, I was in Scarface. I like, what's up? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I think my my runner-up choice is a movie that I absolutely love, Dangerous Minds. So where Michelle Pfeiffer plays the uh, the school teacher in a, I guess what would would in a what we call in New Zealand a low decile school, uh, sort of un, underfunded, um, and with sort of harder to reach students. It's got the the famous uh, Coolio. Um, Gangster's Paradise song and again this is one of those movies I've seen a lot as a teenager and if you're ever at a party with Daniel Whiting, Paul Canauer Unlikely if, if, Unlikely for both of us <laughs> is if, if I'm in charge of the music yep. at a certain point in the night, Gangster's Paradise is a thousand percent guaranteed to come on and that's when you know the party's going to be really popping Okay, I'm all about it I'll probably just be putting my, I'll be putting my coat on by that point so you know Pop the kid along, pop the kid along. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, look, I think like I I love um, I, I loved her in, in that movie. But I'm going to go with you actually for my my peak performance. And yeah, Batman Returns, her Selena Kyle Catwoman, I think is is top tier. And I love Batman Returns. Like it, it I. I, I don't think it can be better than, than the 1989 Batman, mm. but it's so close for me because I I think what they did with Selena Kyle and, um, and Danny DeVito as the Penguin, so, so good. And I love the – I think the way that Tim Burton told that story was, was great and it was dark and it was – like if you watch it now, it's so much darker than I remember it being as, as a – as a child, but that aside, I think yeah, you've you've summed it up really nicely. The way that Michelle Pfeiffer plays Selena, kind of really, you really buy into the how she becomes Catwoman and how it's sort of a a complete opposite character to who Selena Kyle is, and I I just think she's iconic and it's Catwoman, and so for me, peak performance. Great stuff. I like it when we're in sync. Well, well, Paul, this has been another very, very, very long episode. I uh, every week I think to myself, can these actually get any longer? And here we are, over over an hour forty. If, if you're still listening, the the code word of the or the secret word at the end of the episode is let's go with penguin. I like it. We we never we never actually mentioned that we do get people write in and, and give us the COVID, which is very satisfying. So it's a real validation, I find. <laughs> Maybe they're just scrubbing through to the very end of the middle. I've got to get that code. That's right. That That's code. a good call. We need to put it halfway through. 
But uh, again, look, um, thanks to our, our Patreon producers of the episode, Samara King and Trisha Brady. Uh, if you'd like to become a, pa- a Patreon of the show, then you'll find the information in our show notes. If you want to get hold of us, you can do that on our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Pinterest. We're, we're on all the platforms. And you can go to our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we've discussed. If you've got news you'd like to share, a movie recommendation, agree, disagree, corrections, whatever, get in touch. We'd love to hear it. And also our thanks to Mission Log Podcast and the Roddenberry Podcast Network for bringing this episode to you. And also thanks to John and Norman for the, the couple of shout-outs they've given us uh, recently as well. Much appreciated. And look forward to being back next week where, for me, it's all about the search for Spock. And do you know what? If they don't find Spock, I'm going to be really disappointed. Let's be honest. If they're going to call the movie Search for Spock, they better find him. But we'll see what happens. I, I think you've given me a big spoiler because there's a, a Spock's got an apprentice from Sex in the City, then obviously they're going to find him. So on that note, I better go and watch another movie so that I've got something to talk about next week. Adios, everyone. <laughs>